0: Four years later, I can say that it's probably the most meaningful project that I ever worked on in my life. And not only you know, does it bring my mom's spirit just so clearly within me, and I, sometimes I really find myself working on her behalf, but it has brought me connections, both to Weinberg and family members and people in the community that have been impacted by Weinberg and my mother has created just an amazing support network an amazing team of people that have worked on it. And I've been so moved by what's in the collection and Weinberg's words. So we're not done yet, but it has been a really powerful experience.
1: Welcome to OREU at 75 a special series celebrating ORAU's 75th anniversary from the creators of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. We stand on the shoulders of scientific pioneers like Dr. William G. Pollard and Dr. Alvin Weinberg, who built and grew what started as the Oak Ridge Institute for Nuclear Studies. Learn about the history of ORAU through the words and memories of the scientific leaders, experts, and everyday people who have made ORAU what it is today. A university consortium on the cutting edge of the nation's scientific enterprise. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the OIREU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Holtz, and really excited to bring this episode to you this week. I am having a conversation with Ronnie Bogard about what we affectionately call the Weinberg Project. Um, it's a project to digitize the papers of Dr. Alvin Weinberg, who was a leader at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and actually ended his scientific career here at ORAU. So um, we're gonna talk about what um, amazing discoveries have been found, how all of this happened in the first place, and um, the interesting question of why Dr. Alvin Weinberg's papers, were gifted to the Children's Museum of Oak Ridge. And the person who knows all of that is my guest, Ronnie Bogard. Ronnie, welcome to Further Together the ORU podcast.
0: Thank you. It's, it's really good to be here. I'm excited to talk about the project.
1: Awesome. It's a great project. I um, was more involved in the beginning than I am now, but um, It's been an exciting project to see kind of come to fruition. But first, I want to let you introduce um, yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are.
0: Yes, and I do appreciate uh, your involvement, especially at the beginning of the project. I thought it was it was very helpful. Um, I am a native Oak Ridger. Uh, My dad came here to work on the Manhattan Project, so my family grew up here. And I spent most of my career at Y-12. The first five years were at K-25 and I'm retired now. And um, when my mother passed away, my mother Selma Shapiro, uh, when she passed away, the Children's Museum asked me if I would come on to their board and serve. And at the time I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I don't know if I'm really the right person. I don't know if I have skills to even offer, but I'll, I will give it a try and ended up serving six years on the board. And uh, I continue to serve on their advisory board now.
1: And on the advisory board, you have really led this project, the the Weinberg project to have his um, boxes and boxes and boxes of papers digitized so that um, members of the public, children, researchers have access to Um, many, many, many of his writings. Talk to me about how that project um, got started. How did that come to fruition and kind of land (laughs) for you as the leader? How did that land in your lap?
0: Yeah, so as I was um, rotating off the board after six years, Um, Beth Shea the executive director came to me and said you know we have this collection of Weinberg's papers but it really needs um, an archivist um, to go through it and we like to digitize it um, and we're we want to know if you're interested in leading the project and at the time when I said yes I was sort of looking at it somewhat narrowly that I think I had the the skills to do this I'd worked symmetry and records for most of my career. I was familiar with databases, familiar with historical records. And I knew that this would be something that was important to my mother because she was um, instrumental in the fact that they ended up at the Children's Museum. But I don't think at the time I had any idea what I was really getting into. And four years later, I can say that it's probably the most meaningful project that I ever worked on in my life. And not only, you know, does it bring my mom's spirit just so clearly within me. And sometimes I really find myself working on her behalf, but it has brought me connections, both to Weinberg and family members and people in the community that have been impacted by Weinberg and my mother has created just an amazing support network, an amazing team of people that have worked on it and I've been so moved by what's in the collection and Weinberg's words. So we're not done yet, but it has been a really powerful experience.
1: Awesome, so your mother, Selma Shapiro, was friends with Dr. Alvin Weinberg, which is a big part of how his papers got to be stored and treasured by the Children's Museum of Oak Ridge. So talk a little bit about their relationship.
0: Yes, their relationship was uh, a friendship. She was not part of his inner social circle. They actually from from what I understand, their friendship really began began uh, closely when they were involved in a civic project together. And it was called Awareness House. And this was in about 1970 when, if you think back to the late 60s and early 70s, our world changed. Every Social mores changed and drugs became a really significant issue to communities. And by 1970, that was true in Oak Ridge. And the community got together to try to decide what could they do to help kids um, not use drugs, help kids get off of drugs, you know, what kind of a network could they create? And my dad at the time was involved with United Way as they were raising money to do something called Awareness House, which had been done in other cities. And it was sometimes about not just creating a place for kids to go, but also having people who were ex-drug addicts involved in some types of uh, you know encounter sessions and things for kids to do to try to help them not need to to use drugs. So my mom was involved with this. Alvin Weinberg was very involved with this because he as a not, was not just a scientist, he was hugely invested in this community and in the world really, and just about every social issue that came around. So my mom was working on this. There was a Girl Scout troop in Oak Ridge working on this and they put together Awareness House, which interestingly enough, I was in high school at the time and I remember going there And I remember thinking to myself, this isn't gonna work. And it didn't work, it it failed pretty quickly after the first um, couple of years. But what ended up happening after that is that uh, the Girl Scouts decided to take, um, they were offered the opportunity to have a little bit of the leftover money that hadn't been used. And they had like a Reader's Digest grant to open up a children's museum. And my mom was hired as the director and this was 1973. And my mom had been a stay-at-home mom all her life, just involved in civic-type opportunities, including Girl Scouts. And this was her first real job outside the home since she had had children. And But she was an extremely creative and passionate and um, a person who loved people, very similar to Alvin Weinberg in that way. They loved connecting with people. And part of her mission that she had for the 31 years that she ran that museum was she wanted it to be a place where families could come together and learn. It was supposed to be intergenerational. It is different than many other children's museums who are only solely focused on children's activities. This is a museum designed to have families with different, some things for adults, which especially is history. And one of the aspects of history she was very interested in telling the story about was Appalachia, what was here before Oak Ridge became um, the Manhattan Project location and all the history behind the Manhattan Project so that kids would understand why we were here. Not only was somebody else here before us, but why we were here. She, she invested her life in that. And the museum became actually extremely recognized for these efforts. There was something called the Regional Appalachian Center um, that specialized in writing books about Southern Appalachia, course, we have huge exhibits in the museum about Appalachia, but also about, um, she had exhibits telling the story of the Manhattan Project. So this is where during this time, um, Alvin, his whole life has been upended because he is, um, he was removed from his position at the laboratory, effectively fired, and he was going to start up this Institute for Energy Analysis. And I can even remember my mom talking about this and how devastated Alvin was um, about being pushed out, but also excited about this new opportunity um, that he had been given. And so they developed this friendship through those years that started with Awareness House, but then went through the years of the museum as he saw how creative she was and what she was doing with history. And he had been building this collection and he knew all along he wanted this collection saved because there are times in the collection where you see memos that say, this will go into my, into my um, collection. Okay. And so hopefully that may help people understand why it ended up at the museum. There certainly was the aspect of a friendship between Alvin and my mother, but there was also the, the idea that this particular museum was devoted to history and was recognized for it um, in the region. And because of that, he was a great supporter of the museum and saw this as a place that would protect his papers.
1: And it completely makes sense for folks who haven't visited the Children's Museum of Oak Ridge when you see the exhibits that are, you know, they're pretty extensively detailed about what Appalachia looked like before the secret city and what the Manhattan Project looked like, and um, you know, some of the exhibits are you know interactive, but having Weinberg's papers there makes perfect sense if you look at kind of the the setup and the focus of the museum and how how your mom started it so you know from the outside looking in you know on the one hand it's like oh at a children's museum but if you think of children's museums in the sort of traditional or more modern sense of you know they're interactive and you you know you're doing a lot of um hands-on stuff and not as Sylvia intended for this to be an inter- intergenerational learning experience. Um, it wouldn't fit with <laughs> your typical children's museum, right? But um, it does for the Children's Museum of Oak Ridge. Um, and I know I remember um, kind of at the in the early days before the project um, really got off the ground, you know, visiting with you and seeing the collection in, you know, all of the boxes that, you know, you sort of knew what was in them, <laughs> you know, but they, uh, you know, they hadn't been archived. They hadn't been extensively cataloged necessarily. Um, and they were just stored in a closet for lack of a better word, if I remember correctly. Um, but all of that changed pretty quickly in terms of, you um, getting an archivist and putting them in, you know, archival boxes and organizing them and putting them on metal shelves so that, you know, they'd be protected and and all of those things. Um, So talk a little bit about that process and kind of, um, you said, I think four years ago is when this project really started to get his papers um, digitized.
0: Yeah. so four years ago, we started planning and we took almost a year to try to determine exactly what to do and they, so when he, uh, he, he had his papers primarily in the original filing cabinets in the original order that he had intended them with about 30 boxes that were on top of the filing um, cabinets. And we had initially when they were first donated around, uh, I think it was 1986 is when the Memorandum of Understanding was written, we had someone who served as an archivist who went through the collection and got rid of a huge amount of duplication and um, things that, you know, that's they, 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 so what was called to be um, something more manageable and there were certainly inventories of it. But nothing had been done recently with that and several scientists had, of course, been using that um, collection to write some of their uh, research papers and such. But what we saw, was that we needed an archivist to help us. We were gonna be a totally volunteer effort as far as a team was concerned. We, we weren't gonna be paid, but we needed to bring in someone with the knowledge of how to put this um, collection together um, before it was digitized. And so we went, because some of the people on the team were from the University of Tennessee and the library sciences division and had the um, knowledge of what kind of students would have this um, expertise. We've had two archivists both graduated from UT's program in archival work and they then took the collection and moved it out of the filing cabinets uh, one by one into boxes and prepared it for digitization and created a new finding aid um, to go along with it that tries to explain what's in the boxes. So for a while, we were focused on um, creating a website, uh, creating a Facebook page, getting the the word out that we were doing this and trying to raise money because we needed to pay the archivists. We didn't want them to work for free. And we had some amount of supplies that needed to be um, purchased. And that was all done with private um, monies. And after the, the archivists had done about three-fourths of the collection, I started um, investigating about the scanning. We found a company in Knoxville to begin scanning. And this is when I was finally able to start seeing what was really in the collection. Because up until then, archivists felt it was best to not let anybody in that room until they had finished their work. And so so first of all, my, my idea that we would go forward leaving the collection in the order that it was in by uh, Weinberg and his secretary, it turns out I just found last week a a note that Weinberg had had um, mentioned to the museum after he had done it that he preferred to keep the collection in that in that order. So I thought, okay, we 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 made a good decision on that. <laughs> but then we get we began the process of preparing um, to. Have a database that we could load these digitized images into because we've got hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. So we did not eliminate, you know, from the collection even if there's something really, really mundane. We we felt that if it was in the collection, there was some reason that it should be in the collection. And this is why many of the files that you end up going through in the collection are, are somewhat large. I've tried to break them into smaller pieces when it was um, appropriate and sometimes it doesn't necessarily flow in the way you might think that it should, but this is the way it existed when we, as we digitized it. And what happened was I then became, um, as I scanned through the files to make sure everything was okay to load uh, before we began loading into the database, I was able to see what was actually in the collection. And that's when I began to get to know who Alvin Weinberg was. And it was like, um, after months of doing this, it was um, just a little tedious, but amazing work. And I couldn't, I just didn't know him before all of this project started. And he is an amazingly warm, wonderful, kind, caring person, just so much more than just a scientist. And he was world renowned, you know, had re- so many rewards, but yet he was humble. And he cared about every individual person that he talked to he felt that everyone had value and he wanted to hear their story and that comes across so much in in the collection and so where we are now is that we had a great opening um earlier this year a few months ago we had a whole program um, on his birth anniversary celebrating him and letting people know they can go ahead and go into the collection, so, you know, had the the links out on Facebook and email and, and and really publicized it, and people are starting to go into the collection and and look around. We still have 20 more boxes to scan, and um, we just now um, have raised about enough money to do that, and so we've almost met our fundraising goal for this project. I I think we only have to raise about another six. Six to seven thousand dollars total, because we're also going to have a Weinberg corner before we have a Weinberg um, exhibit, because the exhibit will take longer to um, sure. get the grants and get funding. But it has it has really been a delight to be in his files. You find history, you find science, uh, you find philosophy, and a tremendous emphasis on education. This was something that he and my mother shared as a vision about life, which is that education is what can solve so many problems and help so many people. And there's there was a lot of emphasis about how, not only at the graduate level, there's a lot of information about University of Tennessee, um, what was called ORINS and then ORAU mm-hmm. and the lab and what everybody's role was in creating scientists, for, you know, postdocs, um, getting them the skills that they needed. But it didn't stop there for Weinberg, it was also about Educating regular everyday people about science so that they could understand it.
1: One of the reasons, if I recall, that the um, Institute for Energy Studies was launched was Dr. Weinberg was an early proponent of um, what we now call climate change, but basically he he could see, you know, ahead to the fact that something needed to be done to um, change our impact on climate. And that's part of what his later work focused on, if I remember correctly.
0: Yes, and that is throughout the collection. Um, He was called a visionary. And part of the reason is he saw well in advance what the problems were in the area of energy and how it impacted different populations, whether it was the United States or countries all over the world who didn't have energy. And you know he was a believer that nuclear energy is clean energy. And this could really answer um, a lot of the world's problems. And he devoted just a tremendous amount of thought and energy to that and to the trying to get the climate science information out there to the public to educate people. And that, there's a lot of really good information about that. Um, in, in the collection.
1: Um, what are some of the, from your perspective, what are some of the more interesting items that you've come across in the collection?
0: Yeah, so one of the fun things that I was able to do uh, with the database is they had uh, something called Featured Collections, which is used differently by other um, libraries or museums, but I saw Featured Collections as a place where when I saw something that really um, moved me and seemed really important, and it was, you know, it was smaller in length. It was maybe two pages, maybe six pages max. But it was something that people could read quickly. So I created this area under Featured Collections that that people can go to and find things of interest. Now, right now, most of that there's probably about 55 or 60 articles and and memos and pictures that I have selected that I thought were really great and I and as people go into the collection if they see something really great I hope they will let me know and say that wow this would be really great for the for the feature (laughs) and and same for the for the team members as well so if you go if you go to the collection and you go to feature collections you're going to see a lot of things that I thought were special and and several come to mind um one of them and I, 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 I would just love to read this to you because this is called the Ten Commandments. And this was not written by Weinberg, but uh, this was written by a friend of his, another scientist, physicist Leo Szilard, who was famous in um, the whole Manhattan Project and, and right. working in Chicago. But his wife sent to Alvin and to others Uh, something he wrote called Ten Commandments. And I think it's really, really wonderful. So I'm going to read it to you. Okay. The first commandment is recognize the connections of things and the laws of conduct of men so that you may know what you are doing. Number two, let your acts be directed towards a worthy goal, but do not ask if they will reach it there to be models and examples, not means to an end. Three, speak to all men as you do to yourself with no concern for the effect you make so that you do not shut them out from your world. Lest in isolation, the meaning of life slips out of sight and you lose the belief in the perfection of the creation. Four, do not destroy what you cannot create. Five, touch no dish except that you are hungry. Six, do not covet what you cannot have. Seven, do not lie without need. Eight, honor children, listen reverently to their words and speak to them with infinite love. Nine, do your work for six years, but in the seventh, go into solitude or among strangers so that the memory of your friends does not hinder you from being what you have become. And 10, lead your life with a gentle hand and be ready to leave whenever you are called. And I loved that. And that to me, even Absolutely. though Weinberg didn't write that, mm-hmm. that to me almost represents Weinberg's life and maybe of some of the other scientists too, but Weinberg's the one that I, that I knew. So that, that was just something that stood out to me. And I won't read the others, but some of the things that, that also um, I, I came across was in 1958, there was a criticality accident at Y-12. And what was orange at the time became involved with the people I think there were 10 men maybe who were exposed to significant amounts of radiation right. and there's a report from Orange describing sort of what happened and what their approach was and how they dealt with these men and it reminded me of that early interface that Orange had um as a medical center and and really that has remained to this day the name has changed and um and some of that. But just being able to see that kind of history, because obviously it, from working at Y12, I was very familiar with it, had, had seen much about that accident, but that it ended up in the files as part of a, um, a document that that ORU had provided was was really interesting to me, of interest to me. And then there are extensive memos. Um, the friendship that Weinberg had um, with several scientists, Wigner in particular, they show so much about who Weinberg was. Um, They didn't have email back then, but he would write, you know, within it, it might be about something pertinent to their work life, but it also revealed about his character as well. And I think people are gonna really appreciate those kinds of memos, regardless of their background.
1: Right, so they weren't business only necessarily, they revealed Relationships and friendships and personality and and kind of all of those things.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned fundraising, so let's talk about that for a minute <laughs> and see if we can get some people to to help finish um, funding um, the rest of the project. So you said about six to seven thousand dollars.
0: Yes, yeah, so we we came really, we're really close. I think we, we had to raise about $90,000 total, and we're, we're just really close. And if somebody does want to um, donate, they can go to our um, website, for one thing. And to get there, it's um, www.childrensmuseumofoakridge.org slash Weinberg. If you can't remember that, if you type in Weinberg, it's probably going to come up, <laughs> our, our website. Right. And there's a place there that you can donate. And right now we actually have t-shirts for people. I know Michael, you've seen them, they're they're really great. And if you give um, $50 or more, we'll um, include a t-shirt um, and send it and provide it to you for the donations. Cause a lot of our donations um, are primarily from individuals. We do have some corporate sponsorship, but we've really depended on um, donations from the entire community and Um, in the surrounding area, so we'd be happy um, to get that anytime you want, and anytime that people are able to do that. You can also find us on um, social media. We have a Facebook page. Um, You can put in Weinberg Archive and find us, because I just added, so we're coming across new things all the time, so one of our team members found this wonderful um, set of videos, three interviews that Dick Smizer did with Alvin Weinberg, uh, in the 1990s. And, oh, I
1: just saw those.
0: Yes, I just had them digitized. Um, and I have loaded those links to our uh, Facebook page so that people can watch them. Um, in particular, there, there's there been some conversation as August 6th approaches about what he had to say about Hiroshima and the sanctification of Hiroshima subject. That's at the beginning of one of the, I think the very first of the three interviews. So I'm continually posting some things to that um, Weinberg Facebook page for, for people to find. And um, that's probably the easiest way okay. to get
1: there. Awesome. And folks, I mean, seriously, I've I, as I said earlier, I've been part of this team. Um, the work is amazing. The papers that Dr. Weinberg left behind are treasures, but also glimpses into what life was like during the Manhattan Project, after the Manhattan Project, the people he knew and worked with, um, the other, you know, magnificent and well-known internationally scientists that um, you know worked together on the Manhattan Project. So there's a lot. There's a lot to plumb in the <laughs> in the um, in all of the in all of the documents that are part of the collection. It's just an amazing thing. So.
0: And, and one more thing, and we—if whether we have time for this or not, I'll go ahead and mm-hmm. include it now, is, you know, we talked about the impact of the project and the connections that it's brought to me. And the the article that was just in the New Sentinel had several, if you saw the electronic version, had several pictures of um, different things. And one of them was of a document. And I had just come upon that document. I had reached into a box that said duplicates so they're not currently in the same area with the collection they're in in our office. And at the top, there was a handwritten note from Weinberg to my mother. And it said, you know, like Selma, here is something that Jonathan might want to use and you're free, you know, he doesn't have to return it to me. And that reminded me that my nephew, my my mother's uh, oldest grandson had come to Oak Ridge not too long after this collection was in place. And he was writing a research paper for his um, these for a uh, high school thesis type paper for history. And he was writing about the Manhattan Project and Weinberg invited him to come to Tennessee and interview him and talk to him and provided him with papers. And so when I saw that picture, I immediately forwarded it to my nephew and I said, do you remember, you know, this And he wrote me back something I thought was, he he was just really moved by seeing this. And he says, um, I absolutely remember Nana giving this to me. He said, Alvin sat down with me and let me interview him. I was a teenager and he took me so seriously. He was kind and smart and he told me amazing stories. Looking back, I'm sure I asked questions that could have offended him, but he didn't take any of them that way. He was open about his early experiences during the days of nuclear research. And he told me stories about the original nuclear reaction at the University of Chicago. Who would have guessed at the time that a decade later, I would be a professor at the University of Chicago, which is where wow. obviously Alvin started and now my nephew is there. And then just one more quickly. Sure. Somebody, someone else that is a friend of mine, when I heard about this collection, um, she has two children and she said, When my kids were seven and five, we attended a dinner and my son sat next to Alvin and they called him Al. He was an older gentleman who came with another widower. Al and my son, Andrew talked about designs and cars throughout the evening. And Andrew, this is her son told him that he wanted to design planes and cars when he grew up. Andrew was usually quiet. So to see him chattering away was unusual but Al seemed so engaged that I left them alone. And at the end, Al, Dr. Weinberg, complimented me on the boy's manners and said, Andrew made it a delightful evening. At the age of 19, my son Andrew wrote the software for Oranel's first 3D printed car. So he's a beneficiary of di- Dr. Weinberg's vision from the lab. For the lab. Wow. Yes. And that's the kind of thing that I keep running into, is just the impact that Alvin had on everybody. Anybody right. that came into his past.
1: Did you have the opportunity to meet him?
0: Do you know, I don't think I ever met him. And that has been kind of hard for me because I think <sighs> that I should have met him, that I should have right. known him. But instead, I've been gift, been giving the gift of knowing him through his papers.
1: Wow. And really, yeah, becoming almost a friend, almost, through his papers and learning who he was and how he treated other people. And as you say, his impact on in small ways and big ways. But, you know, who would have known that a conversation with a five year old at dinner about car and truck design would lead to someone designing the first 3D printed car. It's,
0: it's amazing. So, and, and I've gotten to know his son, Richard, somewhat because of this. And yes, Alvin feels like a family member to
1: me. (laughs) That's wonderful. Um, I kind of want to leave our conversation on that note. Just Alvin is family. Even though you didn't get to meet him, he's become a member of the family just through you getting to know him. And um, Ronnie, I just want to say, I appreciate you taking the time to shed a little light on certainly on the Weinberg project but on the man himself um I've certainly learned a lot I didn't know about him outside of you know all of the all of the things you can read on his Wikipedia page about how amazing he was as a scientist but from a personal perspective so thank you for sharing that
0: and thank you for having me I really appreciate
1: it absolutely anytime Thanks, Ronnie. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to ORAU at 75, a special series celebrating ORAU's 75th anniversary. To learn more about our history, visit the About section of our website, orau.org, and scroll down to Our History.